Good morning. Nice to see everybody who made it out this morning. Of course, uh, this is never a, an easy kind of morning to get out into, is it? When it's pouring down rain and it's just dreary, it always makes it difficult to get up out of bed. But we are thankful that uh, all of you are here. And um, as we uh, continue our, our study through God's Word in the New Testament here uh, in 2018, um, we're wrapping up, um, well not wrapping up, we're we're really just diving into Paul's letters um, more and more, and and, uh, tonight, or today rather, we are um, going into uh, the second of Paul's uh, prison epistles. Of course, we looked at Ephesians last week, which is one of the four uh, prison epistles along with Philippians, so Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and... Philemon are the four um, prison epistles. Um, But up into this point, uh, and and today we're going to be looking at um, Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. So if you want to turn over there, um, we'll be uh, reading that here in a moment. But up until um, verse 27 of uh, Philippians chapter 1, Paul Um, has taken some time to inform the church at Philippi about his situation, about what had been going on with him, of course, his his, uh, current unfortunate situation on where he is. Um, But his attitude all the way through this letter is one of joy and of confidence. And in fact, that's really, uh, or those are major themes of the book of Philippians uh, and talking about the joy that we have in Christ. Um, Now, starting in verse 27, though, Paul begins a series of teachings concerning Christian life. Um, So I think a lot of times when we look at the Bible, and especially when I I preach from God's Word, I try to find applications for our life. Um, And Paul's letter to the Philippians is really all about applying Christian living to your everyday life. It should be your life. Um, When we think of the word Christian life... It's not a Sunday morning is my Christian life and every other day is my regular life, right? Christian living is your life, period. And that's kind of the heart of of the book of Philippians. Um, This uh, teaching that Paul gives here in verses 27 through 30 pertains to, uh, as some versions read, the conduct worthy of the gospel, And so as we uh, read these verses here and examine them this morning, there are some general things and some specific things that we need to observe and also apply to our lives. So let's read together here, Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so uh, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in the one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here that I still have. So again, Paul pointing to the fact that he is imprisoned, uh, and the, the reasoning behind his imprisonment is for his uh, faith in Christ and his um, ministry to that effect. 
So first, let us look this morning at some general observations of Paul's teaching. Uh, We're going to start off by looking at the phrase, uh, manner of life as the ESV has it, or conduct as others have it. Uh, The King James Version translates the word as conversation. Now the word, uh, I don't know where the King James gets conversation from, but the Greek word um, is polytuomai. That's what it looks like there uh, for those who are Greek scholars in the audience and want to see those words on the, on the screen. Polytuomai. Um, now, you may hear the word poly, right? There's a little bit of a root there. Um, it comes from the word uh, polytuos, which also is very similar to the word politics. You hear politics there. Now, the word polytuos means citizen, and the word polytuomai means to act as or behave as a citizen. Now, when Paul says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, he's saying, let your actions as a citizen, as a, let your behavior as a citizen be that or be worthy of the gospel. Now, to those at Philippi, That's why it's important to learn the Greek and study the Greek and understand what the Greek words mean because those at at Philippi, this word would have had special meaning for them because the city at Philippi was a Roman colony. Now, it was unique though in that most of its citizens were actually transplants from Rome, most of them being uh, soldiers possibly retired, um, who were encouraged to settle there and, and build up the Roman influence in Philippi after Rome uh, overtook it. So they were living in Philippi, uh, and even though they were living there in Philippi, they were expected to behave as citizens of Rome. So now this letter that Paul is writing to the Philippians, who have this mindset of behaving as citizens of Rome, now Paul is taking that and twisting it and saying, no, no, you are citizens of a different kingdom. Your behavior uh, as a citizen should be worthy of the gospel. Philippians 3, verse 20. He says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. Moments before, he's saying, behave as a citizen worthy of the gospel. Where is your citizenship? Heaven. Right? So though we may live on earth, we are to behave as citizens of heaven. And that leads us to our next point, that our behavior as citizens is to be worthy of the gospel. Now, this implies um, that uh, there is behavior that is not worthy of the gospel, right? That's the opposite there. So to act unworthy of the gospel would bring shame upon the gospel, just as if uh, an American citizen misbehaving in a foreign country sheds a bad reflection on the home country, just like... uh, you know, if, if you are going to a conference and you are representing a company and you go to that conference and you act a fool and you um, go and you go get drunk at this big party and, and you just cause this big old ruckus, you have brought shame upon that company because you are that company's representative. The same can be said, of course, of our government. We won't get into politics, though. The Apostle Peter 
uh, would have us remember the importance of proper conduct as we, as Paul, or as Peter says, sojourn here in a country that is not our own, right? As we talk about being citizens of heaven, right? That is where our citizenship lies in our sojourn in this world, in America, if you want to get down to the, the finer uh, granular level, uh, we are ambassadors. We are representatives of the kingdom living in a country, in a world that is not our own. First Peter 2, verses 11-12, through 12, Peter writes, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Our conduct needs to be worthy of the gospel. Our conduct needs to be reflective of, of the kingdom, of Christ, right? When, God, when Jesus said to be lights in the world, He is the source of light, and we are a reflection of Him in the world as His ambassadors, as His disciples. If we are not behaving as citizens uh, in a manner that is worthy of the gospel, then the only alternative is behaving in an unworthy manner. Which ties into our next point, which is, Our behavior as citizens is to be worthy with or without the presence of other Christians. With or without the presence of others of like faith. See, in verse 27, Paul says, Whether I come and see you or am absent. Paul, evidently, did not want their faith to simply be an environmental faith. You ever heard of the term environmental faith? What is environmental faith? Well, it is, um, here's a great definition for you. It is a faith totally dependent upon the environment. (laughs) Thanks, dictionary. The environment is what you're surrounded by, right? Not whether or not there's smog or pollution or anything like that. Although some of us, Jody, uh, you know, our, our, our jobs are dependent upon the environment, right? And, and that's, that's our focus. But the environment we're talking about here is that which you are surrounded by. For example, um, whether or not you are faithful while under the positive influence of one's home, of one's church, or a Christian university, right? If your faith is only positive or your faith is only visible when you are surrounded by others, all right, it's only visible when you attend church on Sunday, but when you're in your daily job, people don't look at you and see, oh, that's a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. That's what environmental faith is, in which your faith and whether or not you are shining the light that you're supposed to be shining changes with whoever it is you're surrounded by. And Paul is speaking out against that. Because if you take a person out of the environment in which their faith is strong, they may lose faith. Right? If, you're, if their faith is built around you know, being around the positive influence of Christian parents or being around the positive influence of Christian friends at a Christian university, and then they get out into the real world and poof, there goes their faith, because they're not surrounded by that influence anymore, what was their faith in? Was their faith in God or was their faith more so in people? And the same thing goes, of course, when we think about and talk about um, issues within the church. 
You know, I've, I've seen so many times people lose faith because of the indiscretions of an individual that they put a lot of faith in in the church. You know, I've heard stories of ministers who have had affairs and, and that has caused people to lose faith and leave the church because, well, that guy stood up there every Sunday and he preached the gospel and this and that and he sinned. He did this bad thing. How can I, how can I go about doing that? Sarah and I just finished watching a documentary on, on Netflix um, about the Catholic Church and, 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 and the, the people who have left the Catholic Church. And, and even now, with all the uh, uh, controversy that's going on around um, the abuse and everything there, the, the people who are outraged, and they're taking their outrage out on the people and leaving a, a religious de- uh, denomination because of the actions of people. Well, when you have a faith that's based around the actions and decisions of man, that's going to happen. But when we are making our faith and decisions based around the actions and the word of God and not that of man, and our faith is in God and the word of God, then our, our foundation should be there. And anything that happens outside of that should not shake our faith. That's not to say that it won't happen, though. Right? Some other signs of environmental faith are things like praying in public, but not in private. You know, you go out to dinner with some friends and, and you, you pray for your food, but then when you're in private and you're with, by yourself, you're not praying to God. You're not participating, and I think that's what Dave is hopefully going to be talking about next week in his class about acts of worship and prayer You know, that's part of our daily life. It should be. Um, Studying the Bible when at church, but not at home. You know, I think this is one of the, probably one of the biggest problems plaguing the church um, these days is um, parents relying on Bible class to teach Bible and not following it up at home. Not saying that happens here, but I'm saying in general, and from my own upbringing and, and, and memory, of being a part of a youth group, and that that is something that is rampant. And you see how those people grow up and get outside of the influence of a youth group, outside of the influence of a Christian home, and their faith dissipates, well, maybe because they didn't have a firm foundation enough before they got in, out into the world. Another sign is a lack of personal closeness and dependence upon God and Jesus Christ. And I can tell you from my own personal experience, that one hits home hardest for me. Because when Sarah and I lost our first child, we were missing that. But we found it. It just took some time. See, environmental faith impacts all of us. It doesn't matter whether or not you're a new Christian or an old Christian and you've been a part of the church for several years. We can be influenced enough by the world. We can be drawn away uh, into those passions of the flesh, as Peter says, that we lose sight of some of the things that we should hold dear to, the things that we should be building our holy temple upon, the foundations of Jesus. Now, Paul's hope was that the Philippians' behavior as citizens was not dependent upon his presence. Right? That was his, that was his f- focus. You know, I, I don't want to hear about you guys being terrible people when I'm not there. I don't want to hear about that. And so, too, our behavior should not be dependent upon the presence of other Christians, but upon the presence of Jesus Christ alone. 
Right? We have access. We've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit who resides in us. We have Jesus there as our intermediator with God. That is who we should rely on. His presence is abounding. Now, as we consider these general observations about conduct worthy of the gospel, let's look at some um, specific observations that Paul lays out concerning our conduct. It first involves standing firm in one spirit, he says in verse 27. Behaving as citizens involves standing firm against those things that Peter said could draw us away. Having the faith and the practice and, 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 and all of those things that go into that, to stand firm and know how to resist those things that could draw us away is part of behaving as a citizen. The lure of the world in which we live with its immorality and materialism is, an, is a very easy temptation to go toward. Some other things that could draw us away, the sin of unbelief. And that can strike as I mentioned before, at even the most of mature Christians during any kind of crisis of doubt. For example, we, we spoke uh, this morning before class about the shootings that, that happened in Cincinnati earlier this, uh, this past week. You know, for anyone who was present when that happened, that is something that can shake one's faith. Even someone who's impacted by that could shake their faith. But whether or not we fall into unbelief because of that, that's where things get difficult. Another thing that can draw us away is the the deceitfulness of false doctrines. You know, false doctrines, they uh, they can show great promise. They can sound good on the surface, but ultimately they can lead us away from Christ. And all of these things are things that we must stand firm against. And we do so, of course, utilizing the sword, right? The sword is a defensive and an offensive weapon. But how are we to do this? How are we, how are we to stand firm against the things that would draw us away? Well, Paul gives us the answer to that. He says, stand firm against those things in one spirit. Who does the sword belong to? The Spirit, right? It's the sword of the Spirit. We are not to stand strong by ourselves in isolation from one another, but we're to do so in unity. Right? When those things that could lure us away, things like the lure of the world, the, the sin of unbelief, those, those things, when they could just tempt us to, to, to pull away, that's where unity and, and fellowship comes into play. You know, when I go back and I think about when Sarah and I lost our first child, the the reason I think that we fell so far in our faith and our belief is because there was this lack of unity that we had with the local congregation that we were with. When we were going through our darkest times, they were nowhere to be found. We were alone and we had to fight that together. The unity that was created was between Sarah and I and not necessarily with the church. But ultimately, our unity and our foundation in Christ is what drew us back to the church, thankfully. So unity or unworthy conduct usually begins when we neglect the blessings of fellowship and togetherness. Because without that firm foundation of Christ and without that 
that connection, that familial relationship that we have with the local congregation. We're sometimes found by ourselves trying to fight these battles alone when really we just need someone else to be there to hold our hand and to guide us through it. But sometimes we also seclude ourselves. We don't want to open up about those things. We don't want to get the help of those around us. We'd rather fight it by ourselves because we think we can do better by ourselves. Well, I'm here to tell you, you can't. The importance of unity in our conduct is something that Paul talks about a lot. In fact, if you continue on uh, in Philippians, just into chapter 2, chapter 2 talks a lot about this unity aspect, but the first four verses here of Philippians chapter 2, he says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, remember, headings and separations and paragraphs don't exist in the Greek. This is just one thought flowing into the other. All right, Man has kind of put this, this heading in so that we can better whatever, decide what sections are about. But this really flows right together. Um, He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, there's unity, having the same love, unity, being in full accord and of one mind, unity, do not do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, right? That breaks the unity bond. When you say, oh, I can do this by myself, you're being selfish and you're breaking that unity. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let's, let each of you not only uh, look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Right? Our philosophy, our thinking should never be about just us, but rather those who are around us as well. How can I help other people? Perhaps even in your own struggles, you could be helping someone else who is struggling with the exact same thing and is unwilling to come forward and talk about those things as well. But together you form a bond and you can work through those things and study together. You know, when when Paul describes the church as a body working together, every member having you know their own individual piece and part, and, 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 but when they work together as one body, right? We are all separate and individual, but when we are together, we work together. At least we're supposed to, right? We're not supposed to work against each other. Now, um, our conduct um, should also involve um, doing so with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul says in verse 27, Working side by side. Behaving as citizens includes passionately promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Paul says striving together, what's the striving? What are we striving toward? He doesn't, he doesn't really define that, right? Oh, wait, yes he does. He says for the faith of the gospel. Striving together for the faith of the gospel means promoting it. Telling people about it. And how are we to do it? Side by side, together with one mind, in unity with other Christians. Our conduct is unbecoming of the gospel if we are not striving for the faith of the gospel, and if we're not doing it in unity with other brethren. 
And this is why it is so important to identify with a local congregation and work closely together with them. You know, I would dare say that there are those who drift around from church to church, never placing membership, never becoming active in the membership. I believe that's behaving in a, in a, uh, in a manner unworthy of the gospel. Because are they not just simply satisfying itching ears and checking off that I went to church box on the checklist? You know, being a part of the church, being a part of God's church, the kingdom, is more than just attending church services on Sunday. Worship services. This building is not the church. We are. Don't just be hearers of the word, but doers. Faith is not sedentary. It is active. Paul wraps this up he's, um, by our last point here. That our conduct involves being not frightened in anything by your opponents. As other uh, versions say, not in any way terrified by your adversaries. Christians walking in a manner worthy of the gospel will not be troubled by those who may ridicule them or even persecute them. But I will say that it's easy, it is easy to become discouraged by those things and even fearful. Thankfully, we live in a country where fear is not necessarily the first thing that may come to our mind when those persecute us. And we can be thankful for that. And I would also say that a fearlessness and a lack of care for the thoughts of those who would ridicule us because of our faith and turning those things aside and being fearless, some may look at that as being crazy. Some, you know, you can look at, uh, and even people in, in uh, countries where Christians are being killed, persecuted, beaten, tortured, and killed, and they refuse to give up their faith in all, in, in, in all of that happening, people look at that and say, what an idiot. How crazy. Why would you not just say, yeah, no, I don't believe anymore. Stop beating me. Because that's not what Jesus teaches, right? You deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. People look at them as crazy. But Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, he talks about how courage is evidence of our salvation. He says in verse 10 of Matthew 5, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who, uh, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There, are, there may come times um, when we who have been Granted to believe in Jesus, as Paul says in verse 28, are also privileged to suffer for his sake. And that was the case, of course, with Paul, and evidently with the Philippians as well, and the culture and the, 
and, and uh, surroundings that, and environment that they were in. But should it ever be the case that we must suffer for Christ, remember that the Bible says it is a privilege to do so. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? But this world is not where our citizenship lies. When we act in a manner worthy of the gospel, when we behave as citizens worthy of the gospel, we are thinking about our heavenly kingdom in which our citizenship lies first and foremost, more so than our life and our citizenship here in this world where we are just sojourners. Now we open this morning with Acts chapter 5, verses 41 through 42. And I did that because as we went through this lesson, I hope that Paul's words can encourage us to have a similar attitude that we see in the apostles in Acts chapter 5. I'm going to read that one more time. Acts chapter 5, verses 41 through 42. Then they, being the apostles, left the presence of the council. Now, the story here, the apostles had been arrested. They had been held before the council. They had been uh, grilled and questioned. And they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Rejoicing as a root in the word joy which is also, again, a major theme of Philippians, also the topic of our sermon tonight uh, as we continue in the fruits of the Spirit. They were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus, that the Messiah is Jesus. I hope Paul's words encourage us to do the same thing. That every day, whether we're in church or we're going from house to house or we're going from room to room at school or in our jobs, that we do not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. That Jesus is the Savior of the world. And that in Him we can have hope of eternal life. So to conclude this morning, here are the things involved as behaving as citizens of the kingdom of heaven and having a conduct worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, not in any way terrified by our adversaries, and to be sure that this is the case no matter what the environment, no matter what the moral climate we may be in, that we are doing all of those things. To the glory of God. Now, this is certainly is not all that is involved, as I, as we saw uh, in chapter two, <clears throat> which you'll read more about uh, this week as you go about uh, the weekly reading. Uh, we'll learn more about what is expected of Christians. But in view of these things, the challenge for us this morning is to think about whether or not our conduct is worthy of the gospel. Can you look at these points that we've looked at and talked about this morning and say, yes, I can fit into that? Or are there things that need to change in your life? If there are things that need to change, prayerfully do so. Make the changes that are necessary so that your conduct is worthy of the gospel of Jesus. Are we behaving as citizens of heaven while sojourning on this earth? Or are we too much in the world? 
Are we too focused on the things of this world rather than thinking about things of heaven? If you haven't, if you don't fit into those categories, if you, if you find that you are behaving as citizens of the earth rather than of heaven, if you are thinking that your conduct maybe isn't worthy of the gospel, perhaps it's because we've forgotten the privileges that we enjoy by believing in Jesus or even suffering for Jesus. It's a privilege. We have been blessed. We have been given the free gift of Christ, uh, uh, of the Spirit. We have been given the free gift of salvation. That's all mercy. That's all grace. Which, by the way, grace is tied directly to the word joy. And we'll talk about that tonight as well. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He came to this earth to die for your sins? If you believe that He is and you have not yet been baptized for the remission of your sins and been added to His church, what's holding you back? Can we assist you in any way with that this morning? If you're here this morning and you, would, you have struggles in your life that perhaps you haven't given to God, that you've been trying to work on it by yourself and not, not sought the help of your brothers and sisters in Christ. We have two wonderful elders here, a fairly decent preacher, and a bunch of loving individuals who are ready to help you this morning. If we can assist you in any way, won't you come forward now while we stand and sing?